So read Matthew 6, 9 through 15. Let's hear the word of the Lord. Pray then in this way. Our Father who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as also we have forgiven our debtors. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. For if you forgive others for their transgressions, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others, then your Father will not forgive your transgressions. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you. We thank you for everything. We thank you for life and breath. We thank you that you are God of all. And yet you are our God. That you have made yourself ours and we yours by the blood of Christ's covenant. And we have been bought with a price. We are no longer our own. We thank you for the treasure of your word. And I pray, O oh Lord, even as you have overwhelmed me just now with the weight that we are opening and dealing with eternal treasure. Your word is firmly fixed in the heavens. This word is God-breathed, profitable for reproof, correction, rebuke. And herein we learn of the true Jesus. Herein we learn of the living God. Herein we learn who you are and who we are. Oh God, would you turn our eyes to your word? Even now as we learn how to pray. That we would not lean in our flesh, but that we would lean into your spirit and what your spirit has said in your scriptures. So, Father, I now pray that whatever proceeds from this mouth that is not of you would fall to the floor and remain unheard. For the grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God endures forever. Lord Jesus, you said heaven and earth may pass away, but your word will never pass away. So, God, O oh Lord, would you speak? Apart from you, we can do nothing. I can do nothing. But with you, all things are possible. Of God, would you speak? Father in heaven, speak. Your children are listening. Have mercy in the name of Christ. Amen. You may be seated. Okay. Um, Last week, we kind of opened up chapter six a little bit. We started out dealing with uh, verses um, what five, six, seven, how Jesus is teaching us, how Jesus uh, presumes prayer. He he doesn't begin teaching here on the Sermon on the Mount. He doesn't begin teaching that you should really pray. uh, But he, he rather says everyone is already praying by presumption, when you pray, everybody's already praying. Everybody exercises some sort of faith in some sort of God. And the language that you surround that with is your language of prayer, whether it is done in a prayer closet or whether it's done in your car as you're driving down the road. But whatever your status of faith, 
um, wherever your faith rests, it is indicated by how and to what and for what you pray. So that the language of your prayer, what language of your hopes, your dreams, your desires, your requests can really give you insight as to what you are truly worshiping. If you're praying for the sight of other people, then you're living for other people. You're living for their approval. You're living for their acceptance. And ultimately, that is your God. As the Proverbs say, the fear of man is a snare. But elsewhere says the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. So that we pray in secret because God meets us with in secret. He attends a, a promise that God would meet with us as we come to him in prayer. And it finally closes. And as I mean, last week we closed with <clears throat> he presumes prayer, but he prioritizes prayer, not because it is a formula where I plug in a certain amount of words or a certain amount of time or a certain amount of of emotionalism and therefore I get what I want from God. But rather, it is not about the, the abundance of your words. It is about the newness of your relationship with God. He has now described Jesus over and over again in the Sermon on the Mount. He is now described as your Father. And that shows up at the very beginning of what is often called the Lord's Prayer as the Lord begins to teach his disciples how to pray. In the very outset, he says, our father. This is a. I, I told Sarah Beth, I am um, and I think some I think my parents are at the house or somebody uh, when I worked on this because I'm preaching tonight, too. So I'm trying to preach really, you know, anyways. and I was like, I have I have seven points for this morning, you know, so about 10 minutes a point. So 70 minutes, right? Everybody's good with that, right? Uh, we'll try to condense some of the points, maybe, uh, maybe not quite 70 minutes, but, but he begins by assuming relationship. I know some of y'all are sweating now. <laughs> I'm so hungry already. Feast on the word, brother. Okay. Our father who is in heaven uh, that I just want to, I don't, Anyways, I want to just I want you to get the how awesome this is. All right. Uh, that one you should we blitz by this saying God, our father, our father in heaven. But what you need to understand is that that is an articulation of a new relationship. Like not everybody on the planet ought to say God, my father in heaven. It is only those who have been adopted into God, the son, who is Jesus Christ, who can really, really, truly say God is my heavenly father. And he is our heavenly father, not by merit, not because you're so awesome, but because he already said earlier in chapter five, I turned too many pages in chapter five, when he's when Jesus is telling, hey, be like your father in heaven, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. Oh, you have heard it said, verse 43, calm down, Jacob. You have heard it said that it was uh, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you so that you may be. Sons of your father who is in heaven, for he causes his son to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. You're, you're, see what he's saying? Be like your father in heaven who loves evildoers, who's the friend of sinners. So but simultaneously now I don't want to lose you here, but simultaneously, Psalm five says that God hates sin and hates sinners while also saying Jesus is the friend of sinners. 
So if those who continue to reject God, they have no business calling God their father. And this is not their prayer. Saying our father who art in heaven, my father who is in heaven. You're saying I have a relationship with the true and living God who is enthroned in heaven. Psalm 11 tells us that the Lord is in the heavens and he is enthroned there. It is not a physical place. It's not somehow, you know, who what was the, the wicked, godless astronaut who said it was, it was one of the, the communist Soviets who was trained up in atheism. But he got out there and he's like, I didn't see heaven. I, don't, I didn't see God. Well, of course you didn't. But no one says he's out there beyond the outer rim. This isn't Star Trek. No Trekkies in here. Okay. Uh, maybe I offended the Trekkies in here. Uh, It is not a physical place, but this is a spiritual description that God reigns over heaven, earth, and all that exists. And so when we say our Father who is in heaven, we are praying not just to a generic notion of God, but we're praying to the specific God who reveals himself in Scripture as the maker of the heavens and the earth. This is the one in Jesus Christ who upholds the universe by the word of his power. This is to whom we pray. And this is what I mean. There's a connection. Prayer is the breath of faith. And if your faith is in some generic notion of God, everybody believe, you know, there's some God out there. Then this isn't your prayer either. Because this is a prayer saying my father, our father together is this God. Specifically revealed in scripture as the father, son and Holy Spirit. The one again who has made the world, sustains the world and is bringing all of history to its proper end at the end of the world. When there will be a new heavens and a new earth and a new Jerusalem. This is our God. So this is a specific prayer. And then he begins at the heartbeat of the prayer. And this ought to be our heartbeat as well. So if it, this is presupposing a relationship with God. And he's saying at the very center of the prayers of God's people ought to be God's glory. Whatever, whomever exists at the center of your prayers. Why do you pray what you pray? Again, it is a function of your faith. So if all that we pray for, God, do this for me. Do this for me. Do this for me. Show up here. Do this for me. Then you might be and might There is a might at the beginning of this statement. It might be that you are your own God. It's a might. It might just be that you need to amend your prayer life. But Jesus says, our father who is in heaven, pray then this way, pray in relationship this way. Hallowed be your name or your name be treated as holy. This is simultaneously a self prayer like God, make me hallow your name, make me regard your name as holy and make others regard your name as holy. And what does that mean to hallow your name? When we talk about the name of God, we're talking about both who he reveals himself to be in his person, character, nature, and also what he does. You remember when God appeared to Noah, not Noah, Moses at the burning bush. All the old pictures of those guys look the same, right? You open up a kid's book, which I have a few of, like the kids' Bibles. They're all old white guys with white hair and white beards. And they get confusing in a photo, in the images of my head. Anyway, Moses at the burning bush. And God says, um, I am who I am. He is the self-existent God 
who reveals himself as self-existent and then reveals himself as the God who delivers his people out of Egypt. So he reveals his name to Moses and his name simultaneously reveals something about him. I am who I am. God's, God's name in the Old Testament is called Yahweh. And it comes from the Hebrew verb. I've said this before. The Hebrew word Hayah, which is just, if you want to know one Hebrew word is Hayah. Hayah. To be. <laughs> Sorry, Hebrew jokes. Lost here. Okay. This is how I survived. Okay. Um, but that God's name is derived from the verb to be because God is self-existent. He's the only entity being or anything that exists without any dependence on anything else. Hallowed be this God's name. Your name be treated as holy. What, how does that? And you're thinking that sounds great and abstract. What does that mean in our culture right now? Where God's name is regularly if we'll say it mildly, regularly considered as untreated as unholy. Or is it regularly treated as unholy in your life? May it never be that you treat the name of Jesus Christ as an expletive when you stub your toe or when you get frustrated at the end of the day. This is the Lord who is upholding the very breath you are using to curse his name. Beware how you treat the name of God. Or even as you as you text and you say, OMG. Be careful who you're referencing. It is not a light matter that we take up the name of God. Our, our prayer should not be. Let me treat God's name as common as any other word in the English language. Let me treat God's name as holy. Now, Jesus is, as he's teaching us prayer here, it does not just mean how we speak, but that's a great place to start. You take the minute of saying where I would normally insert this about God. I would normally speak, use his name commonly without reference to the true and living God. Pause and say something else. And teach your heart to believe something else about the name of God. But your name be honored, your name be hallowed, the center of the prayer of God's people, the heartbeat ought to be not ourselves, but to your name give glory. Right? What the psalmist says in Psalm 115.1, not to us, O Lord, not to us, but to your name give glory. Now, our heartbeat should be, God, don't just make my life better. You glorify your name here and now so that other people can see how awesome you are. And if that means I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, if you be praised, you be glorified even there. Because if that's where the Lord Jesus went, what business do I think it's going to be easier for me? Hallowed be your name. May our prayers begin. Lord, here's, here are my desires. Not begin here, but as we articulate our desires. But God, you be glorified. And sometimes God's glory shows up in this fallen, broken world in ways that you would never calculate or put together. Just consider the Lord's Je- Lord Jesus and how he said when he was entering in the glory, when he was lifted up in the glory... The first stop was on the cross. 
It was through the shame and the humiliation, the weakness of the cross. Christian, you will not ride on visible wings of triumph to glory, skirting above all of the, all of the hurt and all of the sorrow and all of the sickness of this world. Anyone who tells you that's lying to you. No, you will find in the valley the God who walks with you. You will find in the temptation the Jesus who has been tempted in every way that you have been, yet without sin, so that he might be our faithful high priest. Hallowed be your name on the mountains and the valleys. Hallowed be your name in all times, in all places. That is the heartbeat of a redeemed heart. Not to us, O Lord, not to us, but to your name give glory. Hallow your name in reverence. So here are the points. Relationship, reverence, and return. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Your kingdom, there's so much meat on this bone. I feel like a five-year-old with that turkey leg at the state farm. State farm. At the state fair. State farm. Same thing. Y'all know. Maybe not five-year-old, but like the, anyway. Your kingdom come. And this is when Jesus says your kingdom come, he is not looking from his entrance into the world. He's not looking to some far away, distant coming of the kingdom of God. He is the kingdom of God has already come at this point. It's already inaugurated. It's not consummated. If you want some big world, big words, it is already inaugurated. It's already shown up three or four times in the gospel of Matthew where John the Baptist and then Jesus says, repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. It's within fingertips. It's here now. It's in front of you. The kingdom of God has come as Christ has come into this world and it will expand and grow and grow until the final day of consummation. So when we pray your kingdom come, we're not saying the kingdom of God is not here already. We're saying the kingdom of God is here, but not all the way. Your kingdom come, your will be done. And so as a, an extension of our heartbeat for the glory of God, then our mission to see in the, what we want to see in this world is that God's kingdom would grow, not our own. The heartbeat of a redeemed prayer is the glory of God and the kingdom of God. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Jesus is the rightful king over all of life. He is the rightful king over all of life. So when we say your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, we do not put boundaries or parameters on it only in the church building. Only in the life of the church. Only in my individual heart. Now, all of those are true. We should pray your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven in me. Internal kingdom. But we also should pray for the external kingdom of God. We should pray for churches to grow and in the gospel. Good grief, don't get me started there. And then they should be, they should be planted where there aren't any churches. But then we should also pray your kingdom come, your will be done in the houses of government. In families. Now, understand what I'm saying when I say this. 
And, and this might be a multiple part thing, so just breathe, all of you who are worried about your crock pot. It turns on warm. It's not going to burn. We're past those days, okay? Unless you have an old school crock pot, then let me know. Bed, bath, and beyond gift card coming your way. Um, that there are, there, there are several spheres of human life. There's the individual, there's the family, there's the church, and there's the state, right? Each and every one of those, over each and every one of those, Jesus is king. He's king of the person. He has the right to tell you individual who you are, what you are, and what your life ought to be about. He is the king of the family. He, should, he has the right to tell you man, woman, children, home, family. There's other, these are multiple sermons, but we're just kidding. So he, has, he is king to tell you this is what a family should be. He has kings say this is how the church should be run. There should be pastors and deacons. There should be regenerate church members who exercise true faith in the Lord Jesus. This is what the church should be about. And then it had, Jesus is king over the state. Unpopular, but necessary in our times. That if the state is not told its place for the pre- preachers of the gospel, just I'm not advocating for theocracy. I'm not saying, nor am I saying that the church and the state should blend into one. But I'm saying Jesus is king over the state. And so that presidents, parliaments, congressmen, legislatures, governments, mayors, city councils, county councils will ultimately give accountability for how they exercise their leadership to the living and true God. They will not be excused as they pass and govern wickedly. They will not be excused from the judgment of God. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Christian, that should mean for you that you pray that there would be godliness, that there would be just and right and true laws passed. Now we have just and right and true laws, for example, hot on the presses, that that protect human life with equal protection from birth until death. Unborn to in the ground. For the Christian, that's back to being pre-born, by the way. You will emerge from the ground resurrected. Glory to God. That's one example. You're thinking, Jake, if you made that up, I don't, it's not, that's not this sermon. You're not going to make me go there. You can't make me go there right now. But go read Psalm 2. Go read Psalm 2. Why do the nations rage and all the peoples plot a vain thing? They come together and they seek to break the bonds of the Lord and his anointed. The God who is in heaven, he laughs at them and he holds them in derision. And he instructs the rulers of this world. God tells the rulers of this world, kiss the son, lest he be angry. And you perish in the way. Kiss the son, pay homage to Jesus Christ or... Perish in the way. There is a, this is not that sermon. There is a rampant plague among Christians who believe that secularism is somehow a good thing. Again, I'm not advocating for theocracy. I'm not advocating that the church have any authority over the state or the state have any authority over the church. What I'm saying is that in that sphere, 
That sphere is ultimately accountable to God and his law. We shall. One more thing and then we'll close up and we'll jump back into this next week. Deal? Shake on it. Great. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. As you think about heaven, what do you think about when you think about heaven? By the way, by the way, you know why I know heaven is for real? It's because the Bible says so. God has said so. Christian, you don't need some other, so you don't need some other book. You don't need somebody else to tell you that heaven is for real because God already said it's real. Okay. If you know, let the, let the hearer, under, he who has ears understand. As on earth as it is in heaven, what marks heaven? We can list on and on and on. I was, as I was thinking about it this week, it struck me. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Heaven is marked by pure, uncorrupted, un, well, uncorrupted worship. You, know, you, you consider the pictures that we get of glory. Consider Isaiah 6. Isaiah 6 is Isaiah's call. God's calling him to be a prophet. And he says, I looked and I saw the Lord high and lifted up. The train of his robe fills the temple, this heavenly temple. The Lord's enthroned in. And you get the pictures of these crazy creatures. Angels, not crazy like, but like they look crazy to us. And they're singing. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. Back and there's this angelic antiphonal choir going back and forth. Pure worship, uncorrupted. What would that mean? How would that shape our worship? Now, by the way, all this, y'all, is worship. You sing worship. That's not just the, that's not the only worship part of the service. Okay, the service is not worship and preaching. Sometimes we're like, preacher, I really wish we would worship more. This is worship. <laughs> you give through worship. You fellowship and worship. Or, um, but pure worship, where God is adored and treasured, and finally sin is cast off. As we pray for the kingdom of God to come on earth, come in our church and in our worship service, come in our quiet times and our family worship times, as it is in heaven. That we would order our thoughts as God reveals himself in the word of God. If the, if the word of God is firmly fixed in the heavens. Then the rules of heaven are not different than the rules down here. That we look to God. And we look to his word. To tell us. What ought the kingdom look like. So we, we try to. Now, the whole point of this part of the sermon, this is where I'm going to end, is that the standard of the kingdom of God is the word of God. The standard of the kingdom of God is the word of God. So that your life, if you're seeking, if you're going to say, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. The first place you should go is saying, does my life line up with God's word? Are you still living for yourself? Are you still dead in your sins and trespasses? Have you never repented of your sins and never come to Christ in faith? Have you never called out to Christ for new life? That's the first step for you. You can't do any of this on your own. But Christian, as you think, how should I live the Christian life? It should not be a grand enigma. This curious thing that you, you've got to figure out. What has God said? 
Go do what God has said. Now, I know there's some nuance sometimes necessary, but we measure ourselves against the standard of God's word. We worship according to the standard of God's word. Do you understand what I'm saying? All, in all of those spheres, according to how God has set them up, they're not equal in this way, but it, how God has set them up, the kingdom of God comes to bear in accordance with the standard of his word. I don't have time to unpack all of that. I know, so that's a little bit of a teaser for a sermon series that I have no plan on preaching anytime soon. But there you go. Teaser. Maybe it'll show up one day. God, y'all just laugh. <sighs> Flubbing my jokes. But we, we have no other standard. We have no other standard of truth. We have no other standard of love. We have no other standard, standard of who God is. We have no other standard but the law of God to tell us how to love God and love our neighbor. To love God and love your neighbor is not an emotional enterprise. It's an obedience enterprise. I know, I know. I'm aware. I just want that to cook for a second though. When God says, love your neighbor as yourself, that is not an emotion, is not an exercise of your emotion so that you love them when you feel like it. Or you love the people that are like you. Because that's, that's what we usually do when we're talking about our neighbors. And we're not just talking about your neighbors in your neighborhood. But we're talking about humanity, by the way. But, but people who might be just in your sphere of existence. Love them as you love yourself. That's an obedience issue. If your emotions... Listen carefully. If your emotions... If how you feel is somehow contradictory to what God has said... You need to come to your emotions in the spirit of God and say, get in line. You will not be, if you're going to follow Jesus, you cannot be ruled by your emotional state. That doesn't mean they don't matter, but they don't need to be the tip of the spear of your life. Same thing for how you worship God. Love the Lord God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Totality of your being. That's an obedience issue. And you cannot do either one of those without the Holy Spirit's help. So if I'm praying, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. A great place for you to start is to obey what God has said, to obey what Jesus has said, to love God. Not just as an emotional enterprise. When that, when that tune you love, that song you know. A familiar tune pops on the radio or, or pops in a worship service and you're finally like, I can worship now. Too many Christians live like that. And dear ones, God is worthy of more worship than that. God's word is the standard. We worship because of who he is. We obey because of who he is. And we have no other standard for the kingdom of God but what he has said in his word. So when we pray, we pray that God, we will be in relationship with God. That might be the first step for you. Our Father. If you are not in Christ, you are an enemy of God today. By your choosing. Your iniquities separate you from the living God. Isaiah 52 59.2, I think it is. If you would be in the kingdom, 
Dear one, you must renounce the kingdoms of this world, the kingdom of Satan, and believe upon the name of the Lord Jesus, the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And he will welcome any and all who come to him and make you new. Others of you have been treating God like a vending machine. And your prayers, if you were just to write them out and to read them as a transcript, it looks like you are the God of your prayers rather than the God of Scripture. And this might be a time of discipline where the Lord admonishes you and says, pray for my glory first. For God's glory is better for you than what you think is good for you. God's glory is better for you than what you think your good for you is. So maybe that's the place where you need to change your prayer life and say, I'm going to begin by meditating on who God is. Meditate on one of the Psalms. Meditate on on some of the things that God says. And then I'm going to pray for his glory before I get into all my stuff. And and don't, don't misunderstand me. God wants all your stuff. Cast all of your cares on him because he cares for you. 1 Peter 5, 7. I'm not disregarding that. Begin with his glory, though. Let God's glory and the holy name of God be your orientating, orienting principle. Begin with God. And then what you pray for, don't pray simply to have an easier life. Don't pray simply that your kingdom would come as an individual person or as your family or even as a United States citizen. But pray for God's kingdom to come and the standard of God's kingdom is his word. So as you pray, maybe you need to go to the law of God. Say, look at the Ten Commandments and say, where's my life out of joint here? Where's the life of my family? Where is it out of joint? Where is it out of joint in our church, maybe? Where is it out of joint in our nation? God's law is the standard. I feel like I'm going to have to preach on that soon, just so we understand what I'm saying. But it's a standard. There's no other standard. So when we pray, your kingdom come, your will be done. What is your standard? What are you looking for? Look for the reign and the rule of Jesus in every sphere of life. The reign and the rule of Jesus in every sphere of life. Individual, family, church, state, Jesus is king. But today, some of you need to say, Jesus is king for the first time. And yield your life to him as your savior and your Lord. Others of you look to those other areas and say, Lord, where's, where's, where's my life disjointed from your purpose? Give me grace to repent and get in line with what the king says. Let's pray. Father, I thank you that you are good to us. And I thank you that you have revealed your will in your word. We pray that. You would save us from prayers that are simply lip service where we feel like we have to go through mechanical listing and mechanical phrasing, thinking that somehow we'll be heard because of that. But would we come as those who know that you are our father because of what Christ has done? That you have given us the spirit of adoption by which we call out Abba, Father. We would know your nearness, your presence, But we know your nearness and your presence as you are described in your word. You are holy, holy, holy. You are the Lord God Almighty. You are the King of kings and the Lord of lords. To whom all people will ultimately answer.
Would we tremble at your word, as Isaiah says? Would the fear of God mark us, for it is the beginning of wisdom and even the beginning of knowledge? Would we treasure who you've revealed yourself to be in your word? Would you revive in us a longing to know you as you have revealed yourself and to live in accordance with your scriptures as your spirit gives us power? And may that principle, your spirit empowering us to obey your word, would that make us a peculiar people, distinct and different as we seek to love you with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength and love our neighbors as ourselves. God, would you have mercy on those who hear who do not know you? Would you prevent right now from some of the deeper matters that might have come up in this sermon, would you prevent those from being stumbling blocks that they might focus on the one thing for them today, that they might bend the knee, surrender their lives to Jesus? For those who know there is conviction here, that you are speaking and dealing with them according to your word, would you give grace for the steps necessary for repentance? For true mind change and heart change and life change. Lord, would you teach us all to pray? To pray in this dark age that the light of Christ might shine and your kingdom would come. We pray this in his name. Amen.